you know, uh, Mother's Day is a holiday. It's a day full of uh, pleasure and, and many positive experiences. But I also understand, as many holidays do, it can be bittersweet. Some perhaps because our mothers are no longer with us. Uh, some perhaps because of, of whatever reason uh, we were not able to have children on our own. But some because the children that we've had, they have left the faith. You see, today I bring you a message. I prayed that the Spirit would lead me. A message that may not be pleasant, but it is important. There are prodigals among us. That's a reality. Sometimes what has bothered me in the past about churches and the ones who proclaim from their pulpits is it seems Pollyannish. It seems like everything can be overcome and everything can be put back into place just if you approach God and, and you have faith. And that's not always what happens, right? Prodigals. They can be sons and daughters that grew up in the church, even were taken as often as the doors were opened, and yet when they got to a certain age, they fell away, even saying, I no longer believe in God. Prodigals are not just children. Prodigals can be husbands and wives. Uh, prodigals can be fathers and mothers. But the reality is that sometimes people turn away from faith. And what is it that we do? What is it that we can do? That's what I want to talk about today. What is it that we do when someone even becomes hostile to the faith? I think first we need to realize that it begins with theology. And laying out a prodigal plan for you, how you interact with, how you plan for, how you deal with prodigals in your life, the first thing I would say is the theology that we need. The theology we need begins with this, and it must start here. It is not that we begin with the life situation of the prodigal. It is important, it is crucial for us to understand that it must start with God. After all, it is totally out of sense. It makes no sense at all. It is incompatible with reason that someone who was dead could be raised from life. If you go to the cemeteries in town and sit there for a while, I guarantee you there will be people coming in, but there aren't people going out. God is a God of resurrection. God is a God who can take his creation from death back to life. Now, I mean that physically, a physical resurrection, but I also mean it spiritually and emotionally. What we have to understand is this. If we have prodigals among us, we must beseech God. We must approach God and ask for him to work. God made all of us with hearts, according to the scriptures. Now, the conception of the heart in the scripture is a little different 
from what we, we tend to think of that anatomically. Anatomically, the heart is the muscle that beats, that uh, circulates blood throughout our bodies. But in Scripture, when you see the word heart, it, it refers to the core of a person. It refers to where their life decisions are made. And over and over again, we see that God created us with hearts and that our hearts have to be touched. Our hearts have to be changed by him. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, the problem with our prodigals, and maybe part of our problem in looking at and thinking about the prodigals in our life is we feel guilt. We feel like somehow we should have done something different. This makes clear that all of us have our own responsibility uh, to guard our heart. In other words, we have to own that. And mothers, you could have done, you may have done everything possible you could to have your children know the Lord and live by faith, but they have to make that choice. God has no grandchildren. You see, it's a decision all of us must make, and we must guard that heart. We must choose to guard that heart, for everything we do flows from it. So I say to you, as we think about the prodigals, we need to think about their hearts, just as we think about our hearts. Proverbs 21, 1, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels to all who please him. That is, God can have an influence on people's hearts. God can change people's hearts. Now, it may seem unlikely as you in your mind's eye now have that prodigal father or mother, that prodigal friend or brother or sister, that prodigal son or daughter in mind, it may seem as if their hearts are absolutely rock solid. They are stone. And the scripture says people's hearts can become hardened. But I also want you to understand that that which is hard can be made soft again. That which is hard is still within God's purview. It's still within God's ability that he might change, that he might soften, that he might touch, that he might change that heart. I remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, oftentimes our problem is, as we think about how to deal with the prodigals in our life, we're, we're starting with man-made solutions. We're starting with man-made ideas, philosophies. I encourage you, as you think about the prodigals in your life, to think about and to focus your attention on, on praying to God, on approaching God and asking him to maybe what do seems impossible for him to change the heart of that prodigal around you. It is a great grief, I know. The th second thing I would say to you as you think about the prodigals around you is, is to embrace the tears that we cry. In fact, I, I think that passion is important. God makes us with emotion. God makes us to feel he makes us to feel when we have pain 
when we have grief. And grieve it does. There was a woman over 1,600 years ago, her name's Monica. She grew up in North Africa, had Christian parents. But in those times, they arranged marriages. And it so happened that her parents arranged a marriage with a person who was hostile toward God. They didn't know it at the time. Someone who didn't believe. And so it was a very difficult situation. They had three children that survived to adulthood. But out of one of them, one of them was a son. A son who turned away from the faith that he was raised. His siblings stayed in the faith. He went to live with a woman out of wedlock. They had a child. For 17 years, uh, he was hostile toward God in anything to do with him. This woman's name, Monica, she prayed and cried herself to sleep most nights. She went to her bishop and she said to him, what can I do about this son? With tears, she said, why is my son still living in sin? The bishop replied with words that have become famous throughout the ages. It is not possible that the son of so many tears should perish. Your son will be saved. It is not possible for the son of so many tears to perish. And he was right. It took several more years of fervent praying, but eventually Monica's son came to Christ. And we know him today. His name was Augustine, Saint Augustine. He's universally regarded as one of the greatest thinkers in Christian history. Even 16 century later, his books are still read. They're still in print. I've read them. He makes it clear in his confessions that his mother prayed him to Jesus. She would not give up, and eventually God answered her prayers. I think the bishop was right when he said it was not possible for the son of so many tears to perish. How precious are a mother's tears. There is no substance on earth more precious, more valuable than the tears of a godly mother. There are mothers and grandmothers who have prayed their children and their grandchildren to Christ. There are mothers who, and grandmothers who have seen their children in the far country of sin and have prayed them step by step back to the Father's house. When everyone else gave up, godly women laid hold of heaven and claimed their offspring in Jesus' name. And God heard those prayers and he answered them. Don't run away from your tears. Understand that those tears are the mark of a passion for children that you won't ever give up. You see, oftentimes we can grow weary. And we ourselves can become a little hard, a little numb. I say it to you. I think we need to stay pliable. We need to stay sensitive. Yes, it hurts when there are prodigals that are close to you. But you are their best hope as you approach God. And so let me give you the prayer that we pray. Let me give you the, the prayer that we pray. As we think it is God who can do the impossible, not us. As we think that each person's heart has to be touched by God. As we think 
that it is no matter how many tears we cry, that in and of itself will not change them. This is the prayer that we pray from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That first part is what I want you to focus on. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That's what we need to pray for our prodigals. That the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened. The eyes of their hearts might be changed. The message says it this way. Open the eyes of their hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. You see, it is only with God's truth, it's only with God's light that the darkness can come. Friends, very intelligent people can uh, be spiritually blinded, especially in our culture today, which tries to to walk away from any acknowledgement or dependence upon God. Uh, In our culture today that says people are growing smarter and wiser and more independent, they don't need uh, this made-up concept of religion, uh, of uh, Christianity. In these ages, it's very easy for people's eyes to become darkened and blinded. So the prayer is the eyes of their hearts might be open. That's a hard prayer to make because you know what? Sometimes it takes bad things happening to them for the eyes of their heart to be open. Sometimes it takes allowing them enough independence to where they do things that bring negative consequences into their lives. You see, when I talk about this kind of prayer, it means... Allowing them that space to make decisions that can bring terrible results. That's exactly what we need to, to happen. That we pray for God through whatever happens there. For them to be able to be see from that darkness there is light. For them to see that the way of the Lord is the way to live. It is the way God meant us to live. The prayer that we pray is open the eyes of their heart that they might see his truth and he might flow in. And then finally the change that we must model. That's the fourth step in this prodigal plan. The change that we must model. As I say, so oftentimes we focus ourselves on that prodigal instead of God. But I would say as you focus on God, You also, before you focus on that prodigal, you focus on your life and on your way of living in Christ. I read of an email a woman wrote to a minister, and it went this way. She wrote as part of this, and I quote, Our third son is a prodigal, although I suppose we are all prodigals in some fashion, she writes in parentheses, and and really that's true. She says, I've experienced a depth of relationship with God that I didn't know before mothering a prodigal. God has continued to walk this road of parenting with us, revealing his character to us and growing us through his trials or through these trials. I thank God for our son. Actually, he has been and is the iron that sharpens me. 
I trust that God is working deep in his heart, even though the outside doesn't often look that way. I believe someday his eyes will be opened, and God will give his heart of stone, uh, and he instead will give him a heart of flesh. And the renewing of his heart and his mind will be a great testimony to God and who he is. What a great email. See, so oftentimes what happens is, and it can sneak up on us as we have prodigals in our lives, we can grow angry about that. We can grow bitter about that. We can seek to motivate and to change our prodigals around us by guilt. We can rage at them in anger. We can seek to manipulate them in human ways. Instead, I think far more powerful might be to model Christ even with that one that doesn't want any part to do with him. Model, live like Christ. That's what I'm saying. To allow our situation of having this prodigal close to us, instead of turning us away from God and, and more angry and more hard, it, to instead soften us up, that God might change us and help us to be that light that helps his eyes to be opened, her eyes to be opened. <coughs> this is a challenge, but it is so much, so much what I think can have that dramatic effect. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say uh, you have a prodigal. Now, I'm not saying to enable them. I'm not saying uh, to bring them uh, freedom and, and resource. You give them resources to have the freedom to live whatever way. As much as I was talking about a minute ago, you need to allow them the freedom to, to mess up and to have to deal with the consequences of what's going on. But you love them unconditionally you love them like jesus loves you love them with that unconditional love the agape love then when the eyes start to to when the shackles start to come up when the eyes start to be opened you are there and they could see your selfless love that you never gave up that you always were there <coughs> the prodigal concept it comes from a story in Scripture, a famous, one of the most famous short stories ever. In Luke chapter 15, it's called the Par parable of the lost son. The first part of it reads like this. As Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and while living. Now, what I just said, don't enable them, I, I think this father kind of did. Giving them half of their inheritance, his, his inheritance first, I, I'm not so sure that was a good idea. But he did. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Uh, he'd gotten, he'd blown through everything. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, when he came to his senses, when the eyes of his heart began to be opened, 
when because of the rope that he was given, the independence that he was given to make mistakes and suffer the consequences, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Most important part of the story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Why that is so important. Read between the lines there. This is a father. This is a father who is a model for our Heavenly Father. This is a father who never gives up. He's still a long way off. It implies that he is looking for him. And I think many days before that, he'd spent the day looking for him. Because he passionately cared about his son. Maybe he shed tears. Maybe God sheds tears over we who have been prodigals, over we who are still prodigals. And he was a long way off. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his, on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It might seem as if you're prodigals. For them there is no hope. But on Saturday night... It seemed pretty hopeless. On Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive again. So also, there is hope for our prodigals. Let us be reminded with God all things are possible. Let us cry our tears. Let us pray fervently and continually that the eyes of their heart might be open. And let us love them as God has loved us, as God has never let go. Father, we think today about these words, and no doubt it brings us sadness, many of us. <clears throat> We've done what we could do, not perfectly, but to try to raise our children in the Lord. And now they wander. Maybe it's also siblings, parents, a husband or wife. Yes, we cry. But we realize that we can never give up. I pray today, Father, that you would give us a renewed determination to love unconditionally those who are even hostile to you, those that we love. I pray, Father, I lift them before you. 
And I ask that you break their hearts. I ask that you, Father, I, I bring to you urgently that you might open the eyes of their heart. They might see the truth. They might come to the truth and be set free. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.